0: William Lane Craig has said that the doctrine of original sin is not necessary to the Christian faith. Does Christianity depend on one man, Adam, disobeying God and plunging all of humanity into the curse of sin, which is death? And and why is Jesus called the last Adam? Well, there is a new book out that is challenging not just William Lane Craig's view or interpretation, but any modern apologist and theologian that holds to or pushes an old earth or theistic evolution as a worldview that is compatible with Scripture. It's called Adam first and the last, and it is a bold yet loving and comprehensive approach to this conversation. It is desperately needed in the church today, and you can use this to help people in your sphere of influence understand the truth.
1: You can be a Christian and believe that God used evolution to create the world, but there'll be consequences to how you read the rest of Scripture. What's salvation? Well, salvation is part of the gospel. The gospel is good news. What's the bad news? The bad news is that we are sinners in Adam. And you'll never understand the good news unless you understand the bad news. And the reason many people don't preach the bad news is because they don't believe that we are sinners in Adam. Welcome to the Creation Today Show, where we bring together interviews with experts and solid Bible teaching. Your host, Eric Hovind, affirms the ultimate authority of God's Word, the truth
0: of creation, and why it matters to you. Hey, if you're new to the Creation Today show, I am your host Eric Hoven. We are on a mission to disciple the world one person at a time, and right now, I'm really happy to be doing that with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. My guest today is the executive director of Answers in Genesis in the UK. He's the author of many articles and books. One of the books we covered with him in the past is his book "Scoffers," uh, and And he talks a lot about apologetics. That's a word that literally means to give an answer for what you believe. His latest book, Adam, First and the Last, is amazing. I cannot wait to discuss this book with you guys. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome, all the way from the UK, Simon Turpin. Simon, welcome back to the Creation Today Show, sir.
1: Thanks, Eric. It's good to be back with you.
0: Ah, I love the accent already. I got to tell you, I don't know. do, Do you hold this... British accent over your boss Ken Ham and rub in the fact that the British accent sounds smarter than the Aussie accent. Do you like talk about that with him?
1: Yeah, he's a bit jealous of the accent. (laughs) I bet he is.
0: (laughs) Poor guy. Hey, your new book, Adam, The First and the Last, this is detailed. It's comprehensive. It is a powerful look into this topic. And so I want to give away a few copies to people who are watching us right now. Hey, if you're watching us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, uh, you have a chance, or my partner's right here. Uh, By the way, Tim, good to see you on here, buddy. Love you, man. Um, I want to give you guys a chance to win a copy of this book. We'll do a drawing uh, for this. If you want to win a copy of Simon's new book, which I promise is really, really good, all you have to do is answer this question, write it in the comments. What is your favorite Christmas tradition? What's your favorite Christmas tradition since While we're recording this show, Christmas is right around the corner, uh, and the ladies in the office are going to pick somebody on the different platforms, and we'll be giving away several copies of this book. What is your favorite Christmas tradition? Put that in the comments, put that in the chat, and uh, maybe the ladies will choose you to win your own copy. While you guys are answering that question, Simon, your book, Adam, first and the last, what is the significance of this book to you? Why did you write this book?
1: Well, Eric, um, I wrote it because I was noticing a trend in uh, Christian circles that a lot of Christians uh, were beginning to compromise, not only on the foundational chapters, obviously the book of Genesis, but when it comes um, to who Adam is, the consequences of his sin, um, how that impacts scripture, how you read scripture. And I noticed that over the last 10 years, probably maybe, you know, a dozen, maybe 1520 books had been written by numerous different scholars from different perspectives on who is Adam. Now I thought, well, it can't be that complicated. You can't have all these different interpretations of Adam, right? Does the Bible give us uh, a definite interpretation? So my the aim of the book is basically to challenge those views to say, look, people aren't reading scripture here. They're reading something into scripture because they've been influenced um, in their thinking, either by modern evolutionary science or by sort of critical views of the Old Testament, um, which themselves are influenced by uh, a, an understanding of evolution and the age of the earth. And so that's why I thought this, I need to respond to to what people are saying to help Christians understand, look, we, we need to take a stand on the the uniqueness of Adam, the, the uniqueness of the fact that God created one man in the beginning, who was the head of the human race and whose sin, as you mentioned, um, brought tragic consequences um to the whole of mankind. but the power of the gospel is that we have a last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has done something so wonderful in giving his life on the cross of Calvary and then rising from the dead.
0: you know when I was thinking about having this show with you, I, I, I put this in the kind of the description of the show I went. It seems to me like in order to appease the masses, many churches have downgraded doctrine to the point where churchgoers are really doctrinally deprived. And the deficiency is, it's really created vulnerable Christians who can't decipher the detailed account of the first Adam that created the need for the last Adam. So I... Is that because, because, and you name names in here, and that's what I love about this. You're going, okay, let's talk about this. And you got John Collins and uh, Francis Collins, John Collins and Francis Collins, and uh, Dennis Alexander and uh, John Walton. And yeah, you're going through saying, here's some of the different views. So, okay, start us off with the whole first and last Adam, and uh, (laughs) where does that first and last Adam idea come from? As we jump into this important subject.
1: Well, let me just share my slides, Eric. I've got a few slides that I can use to help people um, understand. A man that's
0: repaired. I love it.
1: (laughs) So we'll think quickly, Eric, because the the term the last Adam is only used uh, in one book of the Bible. If people are familiar with Paul's letter to the Corinthians in chapter 15, um, it's a brilliant chapter, all to do with the gospel, all to do with Christ's resurrection from the dead. And I'm going to show you why the importance of. There being one man, Adam, and one last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, is important because Paul begins his argument in 1 Corinthians 15. He, he tells us what the gospel is. He defines the gospel as Christ's death, his burial, uh, his resurrection from the dead. And the fact that he appeared not just to a couple of people, but he appeared on numerous occasions to um, groups of people, hundreds of people at one time. And so that's how Paul um, defines the gospel, Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. But notice the fact that Paul talks about Christ's death. Well, why did Christ die uh, a physical death on the cross? Well, Paul goes on in his argument to say, basically, um, death came in by a man. Who's that man? Well, obviously, he's talking about, in context, Adam. And then he says, by another man, Christ has come the resurrection of the dead. And I notice a lot of people try and discuss, well, what kind of death is it that Adam brought into the world? Well, what kind of death did Christ die on the cross? Well, it was a physical death on the cross and he rose from the dead physically. So what type of death is Paul talking about here that Adam brought into the world? Well, obviously it's physical death. In fact, the Bible doesn't really separate physical and spiritual death out from each other. Paul basically has both of those in mind in fact in the next verse in 1 corinthians 15 22 he says this in adam all die in christ shall all be made alive and so the reason we face death eric is because we are in adam adam brought death into the world he brought physical and spiritual death into the world and it's christ through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the death and from the dead is the means that he deals with that. In fact, he goes on in verse twenty-six, and he says this: the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, just think about that. How does Paul address this? He says, "Death is an enemy. Death will be destroyed at the end of it. At the end of the age, it will be stripped of its power, and it will no longer be uh, victorious." But if you try and say the death that Adam brought into the world is only spiritual death, then basically it undermines the power of Christ's resurrection from the dead because Paul is saying death he will be defeated at the end of the age. It's total death. It's physical death. It's spiritual death. Death in the end will be defeated because what of Christ has done on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And then by the time you get down into verse 45, the apostle Paul tells us this, the first man, Adam, became a living being. By the way, Paul is quoting there Genesis 2.27 in the creation of Adam. The first man, Adam, became a living being when God breathed into him the breath of life. And then Paul then says, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So notice Paul gives us um, something very conclusive. He says there's one man to begin with, the first man. In other words, there's no person before Adam. Adam is the first man. And then he says, well, Christ is the last Adam. He's not a second Adam. Okay. There are some hymns and songs out there which talk about Christ being the second Adam. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says Christ is the last Adam. There will never be another head of the human race. And so Paul definitively deals with the question of who is Uh, the first Adam and the last Adam. There was a physical first man named Adam who God breathed into to give the breath of life. And then the last Adam, he became uh, a life-given spirit. What does Paul mean by a life-given spirit? Well, that's to do with the resurrection body. We, we will have, that will be a resurrected body, a physical body, which Christ, will himself empower. And so Paul there deals with this issue of who Adam is and who the last Adam is and how death has been defeated.
0: So I want to contrast that because I, and I appreciate this in your book, you do not hold back from those that are disagreeing with what you're saying. And so I want to read uh, William Lane Craig, you put his quote in your book, uh, from his book, In Quest of the Historical Adam, and which he says is Heidelberg this man, you know, believes in kind of the evolutionary trait uh, 750,000 years ago. And here's what William Lane Craig says in his book. It is, however, dubious that the doctrine of original sin is essential to the Christian faith. The doctrine enjoys slim scriptural support, to put it mildly, not to be found in the account of Genesis 3 of the curses followed by the fall. The doctrine depends entirely on one biblical passage. He says, Romans 5, which is interesting. You're not showing us Romans 5 right now. And that passage is vague and open to multiple interpretations. Thus, while the doctrine of original sin depends crucially on the fact of a historical Adam, Christianity need not embrace the traditional doctrine of original sin, but may content itself with affirming the universal wrongdoing of human beings and their inability to save themselves and i go that that is is in conflict to what you're saying right there from first corinthians
1: oh absolutely eric i mean we can look at Um, Romans chapter five, because Paul there does teach what we would believe is the doctrine of original sin. The fact that we, it's not talking about the first sin, it's talking about the fact that we are sinners in Adam. But Paul here clearly lays out, in Adam, all die. Is any person ever in, in the history of humanity not died? No. Why? Because we are in Adam. Adam is a head over the human race. Um, of the fallen race. And the reason we die is because we are in him. We inherited um, his sinfulness. A lot of people don't like that, but this is what Paul is teaching. The reason we die is because we are in Adam. So yeah, Paul very clearly teaches um, the doctrine of original sin. And he has to say it's a disputed passage and there are multiple interpretations because he doesn't believe in the clarity of scripture. He doesn't believe scripture is clear and that's a problem for many people today because they've imbibed um this this darwinian perspective theistic evolution and how to interpret the bible
0: and that and i love that that you're actually spelling out very clearly how the evolution worldview has affected their view of scripture and they're not taking scripture as the authority they're taking modern science as the authority and they're changing scripture to fit now okay as, as i've been. Taught this, I think this is straight from Scripture. This is revealed by God. God has a plan from beginning to end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. So, when did so His plan of salvation, I believe, was was a plan from the beginning. When though do we first see the promise of this Savior to come, the last Adam, Jesus, that is needed because the first Adam messed up.
1: Yeah, that's again, many people would, I think William Lynn Craig would deny this, that there is a plan of salvation in the Bible. And obviously, we don't have to go far. Um, it's at the beginning in the book of Genesis. And um, actually, Genesis is one book that is part of another book. In fact, you can see there on the screen, the book of Moses. Moses uh, is the author of what we would say is the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, De- Deuteronomy so although there are five separate books in and of themselves they are part of one book the Book of Moses and I'm going to show you how um not only in Genesis three fifteen do we have this famous promise um of uh, a savior to come but that promise is planted in seed form in this verse but is brought to life throughout the rest of the Torah because here we have um Um, God saying um, that he will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's obviously talking to Satan, the serpent, but it's the promise of there's going to be a deliverer. And it's interesting that word offspring is the Hebrew word uh, Zara. And some people try and say, well, in, in Hebrew, it can be singular and it can also be. Collective referring not to one person, um, but to many people. So they're thinking of the nation of Israel. And so that's what it's referring to here. But notice the pronouns, the pronouns, he, you, your, a singular. It's referring to uh, a singular offspring. And I just want you to think about this as well. In the early chapters of Genesis, when there's a, a judgment scene, you often see with it the promise of salvation. So for example, in Genesis chapter four, you have the account of Cain. Cain kills Abel. Uh, um, and what does God do? God uh, judges Cain, but he also gives him a mark and it's, that's to protect him. So in the, in a sense, he gives him a mark of salvation. In Genesis six, you have obviously the judgment of a worldwide flood. What does God do? He gives the promise of salvation through the ark. Genesis chapter 11, you have the account of Babel where people stay in one place. God has to judge them, scatter them around the world. And what does he do? You, well, you see in the next chapter, the call of Abraham, that's that's an account of salvation. God will redeem the nations through the offspring of Abraham so in the context of judgment you would expect to see the promise of salvation and that's what we have here in Genesis three fifteen. and actually there's an interesting passage in Genesis chapter four where we can see this very clearly that Eve understood this promise as referring to a singular individual because there in fact there are a number of similar words that are used in fact um, you can see there on the screen um the word the, the Hebrew word sit, um Isa, which refers to woman, and the word for offspring is Zerah. They are used in Genesis 4.25. And Eve obviously understands that the promise made in Genesis 3:15 is not referring to a group or to the nation of Israel, it's referring to a specific individual. In fact, you actually see In the Torah, there's actually a structure to the Torah. You know, William Lane Craig and others may have imbibed this view of the Bible that, you know, there were different sources to Genesis, the J-E-D-P theory, that Genesis wasn't written by one singular man, Moses probably just after the time of the Exodus, but it was haphazardly put together in the Babylonian exile. But actually the the Torah is structured and it's pointing in a specific uh, direction there. You can see on the screen that if you notice in the book of Genesis, Genesis by and large is a narrative. Genesis chapter 128, a narrative. Then in Genesis chapter 49, you have this poetic section where at the end of Genesis, um, Jacob is prophesying over his sons and he promises them that in the last days that someone will come from the tribe of Judah and he would basically be a king. And then Genesis ends with an ep- epilogue with the people of Israel um, still I- in Egypt. And then you can notice the narrative flows on in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 1 to 22, there's a poetic section in Numbers 23 and 24 where um, Balaam, a pagan prophet, actually prophesies, God gets a pagan prophet to prophesy about a coming redeemer who would come in the last days, the last days of the days of the Messiah. And then obviously, um, you can see there on the screen, um, Deuteronomy, the final book of the Torah, a narrative to begin chapters 1 to 31, and then chapters 32 to to 33 of what we call the song of moses where moses gives this song to the people of israel but also there he says in the last days this will happen and then you have an epilogue to end so there's a promise there of this coming redeemer that's planted in genesis three fifteen, and it bears um in in seed form but comes to fruition throughout the the, the torah in fact let me just show you um This, Numbers 24, this is part of Balaam's prophecies there. You can see that he says, and now behold, I'm going to my people. Come and let you know what this people will do to your people. When? In the last days. That's the days of the Messiah. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter, another person. In other words, this person will be a king. And notice he says, and one from Jacob, that's Israel, shall exercise dominion. And destroy the survivors of the cities now who else exercised dominion in the beginning well adam did in fact you can notice um eric there's there's a number of parallels in these chapters um when we think about adam and the messiah that the first adam basically failed to do what was required of him he was to obey the word of god but jesus the last adam he fully obeyed uh the word of god in fact in in that prophecy in Numbers, that same man, the last Adam who Balaam is prophesying about, is described as ruling. That's the Hebrew word radar, which is used in Genesis chapter one um, of Adam. Adam was to rule over the earth and he would come out of Jacob in the future. And obviously he would have that star as a scepter. He would be a king. But notice as well that that same man that Balaam is prophesying, the last Adam, basically, he will also be blessed as Adam was blessed. And those against him would be cursed, even as the serpent would be cursed. And you can go on. And even in the Psalms, Eric, in Psalm 72, a famous psalm, it talks about the Messiah and it sees the whole earth as being ruled by the Messiah and his enemies would lick the dust just as the serpent would lick the dust. And in fact, Psalm 72 speaks of the blessing of this man in terms of that Abrahamic blessing, which was was to be a blessing upon the whole, um, all the families of the earth. And so when you think about what's going on in the Torah, that first Adam failed, but there's a promise of another in Genesis chapter three, which later texts in the Torah confirm that it's talking about this promise in Genesis chapter three.
0: That is beautiful. I love the way that's laid out. And many people have never seen these parallels, how Jesus really is the last Adam who fulfilled what the first Adam messed up, what he could not do. And Jesus being tempted in every way. Adam was tempted and fell, failed. Jesus was tempted and did not fail. He was the perfect, the spotless sacrifice. He, I, I, You know, what, why did God institute a sacrifice after Adam sinned? And 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 killed an animal and covered them with clothes. I mean, so many things, and we start seeing Old Testament to Jesus. It's like, oh, this is all showing us what is to come. the the, the last Adam that is that is to come. Hey, the the phrase um, in Adam. You know, in Adam all died. What does Adam's sin mean for the rest of us? Because that's part of the argument that you know we're not we're not really uh, under this curse of sin uh oh that that's what i'm wondering about right there yes many yeah. die through one man's trespass yes that's okay yeah,
1: absolutely so eric that phrase in adam obviously that's what paul uses in first corinthians 15 you're either in adam or you are in christ but we see the theology of that laid out in romans chapter 5. so to be in adam is to be part of adam's family to be in him adam is head over his family. And all humanity descend from Adam. So we all come into this world born in sin, born part of Adam's family. Adam's the federal head over his race. Whereas Christ, he's the federal head. He rules over another race, which is a redeemed race. And as Paul lays out there in Romans chapter five, just look at all the things Paul says about what Adam did to the race, that many died through that one man's trespass. Death reigned through that one man's trespass. Death was like a king over creation. A king reigns over his kingdom, Well, death reigned over, over the human race. And he says one man's trespass brought condemnation for all men. That's not good news, Eric. That's bad news. And by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's basically the doctrine of original sin. But yet, Paul contrasts that with the grace of the one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, which was made for many. The righteousness, whereas death reigned through Adam, righteousness reigns for believers because of the one man. And it was Christ's act of righteousness that leads to the justification of many, the many that are in Christ, and again, one man's disobedient, one man's obedience, um, is what makes us righteous. You know, when we think about who Christ is, Christ didn't just come to earth to die on the cross. He could have come down on Good Friday if that was the case. No, he came. He was born a, of a, of a virgin, a baby, which is what we're about to celebrate. But that's not the purpose of the Incarnation. The purpose of the Incarnation is so that Jesus Christ can die as a perfect Lamb of God for us. But he lives a perfect life of 33 years because he came to obey the law of God, which is what Adam failed to do, and so that his righteousness could be given to us through our faith in him.
0: So I see you go through that, and I go, why does William Lane Craig say that this is so confusing and there's multiple ways to interpret? I go... I mean, it doesn't seem like there. you could interpret this a multitude of different ways and be like, oh yeah, you don't really need Adam's sin. It's not really, you know, in Adam I'll die. That's not, that's not necessary for Christianity. And I'm like, it seems like it is because, I mean, I get it, we're responsible for our own sin, but we're born into sin, yeah. are we not?
1: Yeah, we are responsible for our own sin, but the reason we are sinners is because we're in Adam. We don't come into the world untainted by sin, and then somewhere along the way we stumble, and that makes us sinners. No, we were born in sin, as, as David said in Psalm 51. We are born in sin because of our relation to Adam, and we are responsible as sinners, but it's Christ who redeems us um, from our sin, and it's in him which we, by which we can become righteous. But Again, Eric, the reason um, William Lane Craig can struggle with these things, and, and many people do, is because they've given way to the authority of scripture, because now they've placed an authority above scripture, which is the word of man, because
0: man. William
1: Lane Craig is influenced by deep time, evolution, millions of years, and that eventually, that, that, that's how he reads scripture. And then you see, this is not just about the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, it's about the entire scripture.
0: Yeah, because now you have to ask the question, was Adam really a historical figure? And that's why his book was all about that. Like, well, okay, was it? Well, and it's trying to combine these two makes an incredible mess. So let me ask you, was Adam historical or was he a fictional character?
1: Absolutely, he's historical. Just think about this um, timeline there. You can see on the screen, Eric, when Adam is there, the head of the human race, and um, that's not just in the New Testament, by the way. At, at Christmas time, we'll often read from Luke's gospel, um, from Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2. Well, just flip over to the next chapter, Luke chapter 3, where Luke will trace the descent of Christ all the way back to Adam. And then he says the son of God. And so the history of humanity is traced back in Luke's gospel to Adam. But just think about it. Look at all those different people. If, if Adam is not real, what do you do with Noah. What do you do with Shem? What do you do with Abraham? Because many people will say, well, Adam's not Adam's not a, a real person. And in Genesis chapter one to 11, um, those aren't real people. But in, in Genesis 12, we can start with real history um, with Abraham. Let's start history there. Well, there's a problem in doing that, Eric, because Abraham doesn't appear in Genesis chapter 12. Which chapter does he appear in? He appears in Genesis chapter 11. that's where he first appears in he's in genesis chapter 1 to 11 he's in genesis chapter 11 basically and so abraham is a historical character and just think about that history that you have there if you're going to say adam is just a metaphor well what's he a metaphor for no one ever tells you what he is a metaphor for. They'll say, Adam is just a metaphor. Well, explain what he's a metaphor for, first of all, so that we can know what he represents. No, the Bible presents to us, Eric, that Adam is a real historical figure. Just as you can see on the screen, all those people, all those descendants are real historical figures. The Bible doesn't present to us myth, fable, fantasy, legend, no, it presents to us history and Adam is taken as a real historical figure as as the New Testament authors tell us as the Lord Jesus Christ tells us.
0: I want you to go into that a little bit more but I got to take a break uh, and, and let my social media go. Before I do though, Tony uh, said, yeah, how, like basically how would a mythical figure, how would Adam walk with God in the cool of, e- of the evening? Like wh- what is that talking about? How is that just a myth that God is literally walking with Adam in the cool of the evening? Okay, we got to talk more about that I would love for you to go into the, some of the science of that, because I know you've studied that, and AIG has presented some stuff on that. Before, though, uh, we do that, I want to do the book giveaway. Uh, Adam, uh, the first and the last. And, ladies, I hope you have picked out some good winners here, okay, uh, to give people away. So here's what we got, the e-book giveaway. If you commented on your favorite Christmas tradition, uh, to our partners that are joining me live right here uh, on the Zoom feed, Cheryl B. Cheryl B., you are the winner of that on YouTube Kim McCroy. Kim McCroy, you are the winner. You need to send an email to comments at creationtoday.org, comments at creationtoday.org, because we can't reach out to you on YouTube very easy. So you send the comments to us. Say, I'm Kim. I won that book. Send me that book. Uh, on Facebook, on the, uh, the Eric Hoven page, Zachary Beam. Zachary Beam, you are the winner. And on uh, the Creation Today page, Cheryl Mick. Bailey. I should have just gone with Bailey. Cheryl Bailey, you are the winner. So Zachary, Cheryl, and Kim, please send us an email, comments at creationtoday.org. And we will immediately send you a copy of Adam. First and the last, you will not be disappointed. Uh, For the rest of you, I'm telling you, an incredible, incredible resource. It's available in physical copy or in digital copy. I know our website, Creation Today, carries the digital copy of it so you can download it immediately. And start reading it uh, Simon great work on this for, for some of you I maybe you've never understood the need for a historical Adam or maybe you've never believed in the whole biblical account at all uh, it is true that the, the gospel the good news is based on the bad news Jesus the good news of a Savior is based on the bad news of sin that entered the world so if you don't get the last Adam right if you mess up the first Adam by by including old earth or theistic evolution or maybe we don't need a first Adam or maybe there was no original sin. You mess up the need for the last Adam. I want you to understand this clearly so I've got a free gift for you uh, and it is over at creationtoday.org slash gift G-I-F-T a free gift for everybody. Please check out creationtoday.org slash gift. Hey, I'm looking forward to all of you guys joining me next week. We want to spend the last week uh, the last show of this year 2023 praying together so i want to give you a short update about what we what creation today has been doing in 2023 but not only that i'm amazed at at what ministries around the world have been doing so next week i'm inviting several friends i'm inviting simon's boss ken ham from answers in genesis along with the leaders of living waters ray comfort emil Zwayne, mark spence uh, the leader of gotquestions.org shane hoodman Uh, And then uh, Tim Barton, the leader of Wall Builders. Uh, We just did the tour with him a couple weeks ago at the Capitol Building. Uh, And then a a dear friend who who writes every single day a devotional, uh, Kurt Blattman. And I just want each of them to give you an update and share with you what God is doing so you can kind of back up and get a bigger picture of what God is doing in the world. And then I'm gonna invite each one of them to pray for us. So next week, we're gonna watch and pray together. Watch what God has done in 2023 and pray for 2024, and I think it will be incredibly, incredibly encouraging to you. So those of you on social media, thank you guys for joining me. If you want to join the rest of this conversation that I'm going to have, you do that by coming over to creationtoday.org, partner with us, and let's reach the world with the gospel. For those of you that are Christians, hey, it's a great week to go share your faith. Do it with somebody this week. God bless, and I'll see you guys for the next show. Watch and pray.